Well, let's get into our text for today. I mentioned last week, as we were providing that update on our building project, I mentioned that today we were going to spend some time discussing the role that memory can play in our spirituality. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today, the idea of memory in regard to our spiritual development. Memory is quite interesting. I've been thinking about it quite a bit lately as our oldest daughter is getting to the age where permanent memories are going to be forming, which as a parent is quite terrifying. It really makes you take stock um, in, in your parenting methodology. But obviously memory can be a real gift. It's a part of what it means to be human. And that, that part of us that enables us to hold a piece of information long enough, a, a piece of information maybe from formal education or maybe just from life experience, but to hold that information long enough for it to become useful at some point. And that impacts, I want to argue today as we look at Second Timothy, that impacts our spiritual life as well. One of the things we do when we gather in this room every Sunday is we are intentionally putting ourselves in a position to be transformed. So the actions that we engage in, the the prayers that we pray, the words we say, the feasting at this table that we do week after week, all of those activities are done with the end goal of transformation. And I think in some way, all of those activities are connected to our memories. We want to put ourselves in a position week after week where we might be changed, where our hearts might be shaped to desire more and more of Jesus Christ, where this meal that we are going to share together near the end of our time today, where it becomes a source of strength that is nourishing our souls. The the prayers and confessions that we pray, the peace that we just passed a few moments ago, that all might seem like formal ritual for the sake of routine, but I assure you it's not. It is routine, yes, but routine that we engage in for the purpose of being formed and shaped over the course of our lives. And I think habits and repetition has a way of getting those truths into us and shaping how we view God, how we understand the world around us, shaping how we view and understand ourselves. All of those activities certainly can become empty ritual. For instance, confessing the Apostles' Creed, that can be nothing more than a matter of simple rote memorization. But if we can keep a proper mindset going into each of those activities, they can have an incredible impact on our spiritual development as they help us remember who we are so that we might then live into that identity. And today I think we find some similar thoughts from Paul as he writes to his dear brother Timothy near the end of his life, the book of 2 Timothy, Many agree this was probably the final letter Paul wrote that we have in our scriptures. And he's writing from prison in chains, as he will mention momentarily, writing from prison in Rome, encouraging Timothy to continue, to persevere, 
to keep faith. And I think one of the implicit suggestions in all of this is that memory has a role to play in that process of keeping faith and persevering. So let's jump into our text for today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, You then, my child, it's right here from the beginning, I've got to say something. You then, my child, we get glimpses very early on in this section into the deep affection Paul had for Timothy, for his brother, his fellow co-laborer for the kingdom. So we know Paul never married. He, he didn't have children or a family, but he did have a close family in Christ. And of all of the people Paul is close with, Timothy is one of his closest friends and is indeed more than just a friend. He is like a son to him. This is a man that Paul spent time with, a lot of time. He spent time in Ephesus while he was in prison writing that little letter that we looked at last month, the letter to Philemon he wrote from jail. So they've been through a lot together. They are as close as a parent is to a child. So Paul begins this section, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is addressing throughout this letter his concern that Timothy would be loyal, that Timothy would be faithful, that he would persevere in the faith. Earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, Paul alludes to a group of people who had departed at least departed from Paul and perhaps even left the faith. And so Paul here says, but not you, Timothy. You, on the other hand, as opposed to those who have departed, find your strength to persevere. Find your strength in the grace that is in Jesus. Because if you try to gain or earn your salvation, or if you try to persevere in the faith, in and through your own strength, or through your own religious fervor, or your own austere moral devotion, if you try to persevere with nothing but your own strength, it is going to exhaust you. Perseverance, achieving perseverance, keeping the faith, requires a strength from outside of ourselves. Paul says you are strengthened for this task by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. That will enable you to experience deep rest and deep satisfaction, even though what Paul is calling Timothy to and what Paul calls Christians in general to, it involves effort and intentionality, but that effort, the, the source of strength for that effort is not in and of ourselves, but it is the strength that we find in the grace of Jesus Christ. This is something we just sang together a moment ago. That we, we sang that song as the, the, this, this grace gives me fear, and this grace draws me near. And then what does that next line say? And all that it asks, it provides. All that it asks, it provides. This is where any and all discipleship begins. This is where any, of, any hope of perseverance in the faith amid trials and temptations where it must rest. The grace that is in Jesus Christ, it is all grace. And missing that critical point could have catastrophic effects 
on our discipleship and perseverance. We continue in verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul seems quite concerned with preparing the next generation of followers of Jesus. He understands that his time is limited. He's in one of the most unpleasant imprisonments of his life. And he seems, at least here in 2 Timothy, to fully expect to be killed in the near future. And he wants the church to be prepared to move forward in his absence. Why? Well, because the church is bigger than Paul. He says, prepare others to do this work and trust the gospel too and commission other followers of Jesus to complete this work. So to this point, chapter 2 is quite encouraging. But then the tenor turns in verse 3. It says, share in suffering. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he fleshes that point out a little bit in verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And then verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So we have Paul using these three analogies here. We've got the soldier and the athlete, neither of which are uncommon in the writings of Paul's, and then, of course, finally, the farmer. Paul says, look, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ, and soldiers don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, I think we need to be careful in interpreting the image because, at least in my opinion, this image is not insinuating that we as the church... We as followers of Jesus must separate ourselves from the world because the world is the secular realm and we, are, of course, have our minds set on things that are higher. We are interested in the sacred or the spiritual realm um, and so maybe it's better for us to disassociate from all worldly systems. Some would make that argument and use this text to support that argument. We shouldn't engage in any of the world's systems because that is not our business. But I think that presses the image too far. Rather, the point that Paul seems to be making is that, Timothy, as a follower of Jesus, you have a commander, just like a soldier has a commander, and your commander is Jesus Christ. Your entire life, Everything about you is subject to him. So just as a soldier is willing to sacrifice greatly for the cause of a nation, you, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to give up everything. Even if it's difficult or painful, you must be willing to take up your cross and not look back, but keep moving forward following your commander. Or just like an athlete, an athlete who competes according to particular rules for that competition, you too are competing. You are running in this race and you must accept some basic facts of that race, some basic rules of life, namely in this case, the fact that it's not going to be easy. 
You will be tempted to give up and check yourself out of the race at various times, but keep moving forward. Or like a farmer, that final analogy. Through all of these analogies, he's saying this is what your life is like as a follower of Jesus. In all three cases, there are great difficulties. Yes, there is waiting. There is endurance and trust that are required, but ultimately there's something you're working toward. There is a goal that you are focused on, and if you remain focused on that goal, that is going to aid in your efforts of persevering. So Paul wants Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is what he said so far. And he will need that strength because he then instructs him to share in the sufferings as a good soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. And then he makes the statement at the end of using those three analogies, he says, think deeply about all of this. Don't just hear it with your ears. There's something, according to Paul, that is so important in this instruction for Timothy that he must really grasp, not just with a nod of the head or passing affirmation, but to really let this marinate in his soul, to get down deep in his heart. Why? Because remembering this is going to help Timothy persevere when things become difficult, as they most certainly will. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. This is the second time in this little section where Paul has stressed both memory and thought as critical components in perseverance. So remember who you are, You're a soldier, an athlete, a farmer working towards a victory, a prize, or a harvest. And now remember Jesus Christ. He sums up the good news about Jesus with the simple statement, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and this will be a source of strength for you. Remember Jesus Christ, remember his resurrection, and that will remind you of the end goal you are living for and will give you strength to endure. Strength to endure great difficulty that you can't expect. Paul says, and you can't expect great difficulty, Timothy. He says, look at me. I am suffering right now because of this gospel. I am in literal chains. I've had it rough before, but it's really getting bad now. I'm probably going to be dying soon, but that's okay because I know who I am and I know who I am serving. I know who I am and I know who I'm serving. And my master instructed me if I want to follow him, I must deny myself, I must take up my cross and follow. 
And so I've made the decision to remember my identity as a follower of the one who gave up his life for the sake of others. Verse 10, when I remember who I am, when I remember who I am serving, I can endure everything for the sake of God's people. So one thing I think we discover in this section from Paul is the fact that a li- the, the life of a follower of Jesus is not always going to be a charmed life. I don't think we can look at the life of Jesus, hear his teachings, see his example, or look at the lives of the earliest followers of Jesus and reach the conclusion that, yes, following Jesus is probably going to lead to a pretty comfortable life for me. I'm going to have ease. I'm going to have luxury. I'm always going to have good health. And if we buy into that lie, if we buy into the lie that those are the guarantees for followers of Jesus, the chances of persevering when things become difficult are virtually non-existent. In popular, kitschy Christian culture, this is the message that is often peddled. As children of God, you are blessed and highly favored. So that thought from the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1 that is taken right out of that context and then slapped on all kinds of Christian product that you can find in any Christian bookstore. I am blessed and highly favored. Have you seen that? If you could throw up that picture. I I like this is Chris Green's rendition, artistic rendition of that message. I am blessed and highly favored with the suffering Jesus behind it. I think that is a much more honest understanding of the life of blessing and favor that followers of Jesus are called to. Because if the the message of blessing and favor is divorced from a passage like the one we're reading in 2 Timothy, as soon as tragedy strikes, well, the assumption must be, well, I'm no longer blessed and highly favored. If I was blessed and favored, I would not be enduring this great difficulty. Or as soon as wealth disappears, or health fails, the temptation is to abandon faith because this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for that blessing and favor. Paul is insisting to his dearly beloved child, Timothy, this is what you signed up for. And yet, there is great hope and great joy that can be found in this life of self-sacrifice and self-denial. Why? Verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. This saying is trustworthy. So Paul refers likely to a well-known saying of his that was common among many in the church at the time. Um, Do do you remember, the tradition I grew up in, at least in the 90s, there was this popular thing that leaders of worship services would say. They would say, God is good. And then the, thank you, yes, you know, you grew up in my tradition as well. The, The congregation would respond to that all the time. God is good all the time. So that's sort of what I, I picture when I read this section from Paul. This is a trustworthy saying. People were familiar with this particular saying, and Paul says it's trustworthy. You, you can count on this, so keep it in mind. This is the life you've signed up for, but there is great hope 
and joy found in the life of self-sacrifice and self-denial because, this is where he begins the saying, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So again, keep in mind the context of 2 Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy to keep faith, keep moving forward, persevere. There there is this eschatological reward or this end-of-the-age reward that you are striving for. There is the hope of glory, the hope of the life that is ours if we die with Christ. Then he goes on, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Heavy language about the serious consequences of denying Christ. Paul says if we willfully reject Christ, if we want no part of Christ, if we deny Christ, Christ will deny us. Christ is not going to force his love on us. He's not going to make us accept that love and live in that love. And if, lest we think, well, that's probably just grumpy old Paul making unfounded claims, this is what Jesus has to say. After talking about coming persecution and encouraging his followers not to uh, fear those who can kill the body, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Paul says if we, if we willfully reject Christ, there are serious consequences in that decision. But, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And this is our hope. If we remain faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is our hope, because we are often faithless. I guess I shouldn't speak for all of us. I am often faithless. We often forget. We forget who we are called to be, or we struggle to remain faithful to and live this out But even when we're faithless, when we struggle to believe, when we struggle to live it out, Christ remains faithful, Paul says, because he cannot deny himself. This is who our God is. Remember this. So that's repeated over and over throughout this short section. Remember. Remember. Remind others to remember Remember who you are, remember who you serve, and remind others to do the same. A big part of the Christian life is simply being disciplined enough to remember. Because life will tempt us to forget. The cares of this world tempt us to become distracted and forget. Maybe success would tempt us. To forget, or conversely, failure and pain might tempt us to willfully forget. Discipleship is very much this process of remembrance. It's what the reformer Martin Luther encouraged. Remember your baptism. 
Remember who you are. Remember that identity if you want to persevere and if you want to live into that identity. You must keep it in mind. It's not just going to happen. It takes intentional effort over the course of our lives. Discipleship is the process of remembering who we are and who we serve. And we serve a God who is faithful even when we are faithless. And this is one reason that as the body of Christ, we gather week after week and retell this same story week after week and why that's so critical for us. This is why we gather around this table, around this meal, week after week, and why that is so important in our spiritual development. We want to constantly put ourselves in a position to simply remember who we are, to remember who we are, and to remember who we serve. So with that in mind this morning, we are going to approach the table of our Lord, as we do every week. Kevin, if you want to come up. Lucas, if you join me as we prepare to serve communion. We are going to put ourselves in this position to approach the table of our Lord, not as an empty ritual, but a part of this meal, a part of this table that we feast around today is disciplined and joyful remembrance of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf and who we are in him. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we prepare to come to the table and just a practical word about how we do this. We'll create two lines down this center aisle. You can come forward. There will be somebody here with the bread and the cup. The words will be spoken over you. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. You can take the elements on your own. By way of invitation to the table, I'd like to read a, a section from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and then say a prayer. This is what Paul says about this meal, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's pray, pray, and then we'll come to the table. O oh Lord and Heavenly Father, according to the institution of your dearly beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we, your humble servants, celebrate and make here before your divine majesty with these holy gifts the memorial your Son commanded us to make, remembering his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and his promise to come again. Amen. Amen. As we come to the table this morning, we partake in the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith.
with thanksgiving. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning?